Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And this is indeed a different a different. A different perspective. I can't even get the name of the program out. A different perspective, and I truly am Kevin Randall, believe it or not. And I'm thinking about having to change that introduction because 50 years makes me sound really, really old. I'm not sure I like that anymore. We'll have to think about that. I'm going to be joined today by Nick Pope, the um, British UFO investigator. I'm thinking ahead here for a moment. I was going to say, I wanted to say one thing. What what inspired me to get a hold of Nick Pope was there had been stuff going around on the internet about there him being some kind of uh, dupe for the British government and UFOs and this sort of thing and and uh, I had been accused of similar things in the past as you all know here and I just wanted to reach out to him and maybe we could talk a little bit about how that impacts what we're doing. Um, and what people think of our research simply because these allegations being slung at us that, that are simply not true. And then we'll, we decided that maybe we ought to go a little bit more in depth into UFO stuff besides just that. So we'll, we'll do that. Anyway, as I mentioned, Nick has worked or did work at the UK Ministry of Defense for 21 years. In the course of the career, he held a number of different jobs, but is best known for having run the British government's UFO program, leading the media to call him the real Fox Mulder. I think Fox Mulder had to be an FBI guy, though. I don't know. Um, Because of his inside knowledge and level-headed views, he's acted as a consultant and spokesman on numerous alien-themed movies, TV shows, and video games. He's often the media's go-to person when a story on this subject breaks, and he's a regular guest on various TV news shows and documentaries. 
Nick's latest DVD is called Aliens at the Pentagon, a documentary about USO government's AATIP program. His latest book is an action thriller about terrorist attacks in the UK and is called Blood Brothers. Nick Pope, welcome to A Different Perspective. Thank you, Kevin. It's good to be on the show. Well, it's good to have you on the show. I haven't talked to you in a long time, so I thought it was about time we touched base. Yeah, no, it's good to reconnect. Um, as I said, uh, in, sort of in the introduction here, my reason for reaching out to, uh, for, to you was this, some of the things that have been circulating on the internet about um, maybe your duplicity in UFO research or something like that, and I, it was kind of something that had um, been raised against me in the last uh, few months as well. So I wondered, I wondered, does that affect you at all, having these nasty rumors spread? Not really. I, I think it doesn't get to me personally, firstly, because I know that having worked for the government on this UFO issue, I am always in the mind of some people in the UFO community going to be the bad guy. And there's nothing I can do about that. I think the second related point is that if I worried about every bad thing written about me on the Internet, I'd, I'd never get a moment's piece. So, I mean, there's just such a lot of garbage, frankly, out there. But what, while it doesn't bother me personally, it is irritating when people are being deliberately misled by some of this. And I mean, I think some, for example, some handful of UK ufologists have tried to suggest that I'm either, either some sinister disinformation agent planting false information about this in the public, or specifically that there were two parallel UFO programs in the UK, and I'm somehow misleading people uh, away from the important one, and neither of those allegations is true. Well, I know one of the things that was said uh, about me, in a similar version, because I had been an intelligence officer both in the Air Force and the Army, and of course that follows me uh, in, into the UFO research. But one of the fellows was saying that I was a, a shill for the Air Force, spreading the disinformation, as you mentioned here, about UFOs. And when I confronted him directly about that and asked him, I said, well, this is simply not true, and I know it's not true because I would know if it was true. Uh, do you want to retract your statement or amend it? He wouldn't do that. And and so I, you know, I pointed out the fallacy of that, that sort of an argument, and he was not... Uh, interested in correcting it. Have, have you found anything like that, or is it just you just ignore all of this? Well, a bit of both. I, I have absolutely found the same, but I do try to ignore it. I think part of, of the problem is that people on the outside of this kind of get all all misty-eyed and, and you know don't understand what intelligence is and where it sits in the, the scheme of things in in the military and in the government. And people sort of put intelligence, and I'm not trying to, to do down intelligence, absolutely not, but people kind of put it as if it's a, a thing by itself, as opposed to realizing that it's it's a part of the system, just as logistics is a part of the system, uh, just to, as as finance is a part of the system. But the moment you say the word intelligence, people kind of go, ooh, and, and kind of invent all sorts of, of wild conspiratorial narrative. Well, I know when I was serving as an intelligence officer in Iraq, I always equated my job to that as a journalist. I gathered information about what was going on in the environment around us, uh, distilled it, and gave it to the various people in our unit that needed it to uh, complete their mission. A lot of it had to do with where things were going on, uh, convoy operations and that sort of thing. Nothing very exciting. But as you say, you say intelligence, and they're thinking CIA and James Bond and all this other stuff, where an awful lot of intelligence is simply gathering information. And I, I made a joke out of it, uh, my open intelligence sources. While we were in Iraq, we had the feeds from um, the three networks here in the United States, ABC, NBC, and CBS. The news feeds would come right one after another in the morning. And I'd watch all those to see what was going on. And what the one that cracked me up was Ted Koppel. And he's in Baghdad. 
and he's he's at a school and he says, look at this, this raw sewage in the corner of this school. And I'm thinking, we fixed 2,500 schools in Iraq and he's found the one we haven't gotten to yet. And so everybody thinks the whole system is collapsing that way. But the, the real point is, I mean, it was just gathering information to assist in our mission and nothing more nefarious than that. Uh, you said something else that was intriguing, which was you're accused of being two UFO programs, the one that you worked with and the one that uh, the secret one that you're covering up for. First of all, when you say you were the, um, um, the, the UFO guy in the Ministry of Defense, did you have uh, a staff working with you that did, helped you investigate UFOs or was it not, nothing that elaborate? Well, we had certainly administrative support staff. And then, of course, when I wanted specialist advice and assistance, rather than have it permanently embedded in a team, we could just call on it. So, for example, when I wanted military radar expertise, I would simply pick up the phone and say, hey, right, um, here's a time and a location. Could we check the radar tapes, the data, see if we had anything? If we got a photo and a video I could reach out to intelligence community imagery analysis uh, specialists and bring the resources and capabilities there to bear without any of it needing to be permanently on a team. So we were a small unit but had a big reach. Now, where the confusion comes in about two programs, there, there weren't two programs. There was one program. We were public-facing. We were pretty much in the phone book, metaphorically speaking, because, of course, a number of our reports, uh, most of them actually by volume, came from the public. But we did have scientific and technical intelligence specialists working with us on that. They were one of a number of experts we could call on. And that's where the rumors of a second secret UFO program came from. But it was simply the fact that we have a lot of different people working on this, as you would expect. So it's kind of equivalent to the Project Blue Book, where they had a very small staff located in Dayton, Ohio, but uh, Cantonella could reach out to whatever experts he needed or the local base where the sighting took place and have the officers assigned to investigate. That's exactly it. And if you go back to the genesis of the British government's UFO program in the 50s, you, you find that they were actually having meetings with their U.S. opposite numbers. And indeed, the Royal Air Force sent some people over to meet with people like uh, Edward Ruppelt when he was doing the job. And very much the job I was doing, the terms of reference, the methodologies of how you actually do the investigation, even the forms that we used to take the data in the first place from, from the public or the pilots or whoever, it was all based on the U.S. Blue Book model. So you operated basically the way, the way they did in the U.S., but in the U.S., when we say there was a second level, another UFO program that was, I guess, concurrent with Blue Book, uh, it turns out that was true, but there's nothing like that in the U.K., no, there, there's nothing like that in the UK, although from time to time, obviously, the sorts of intelligence staffs that I mentioned did get involved in doing standalone studies. But those were standalone studies, certainly during my tour of duty, that I was actively involved with. So I knew about it. It's just that the public didn't know about it. But that's just because we had a blanket policy of not discussing intelligence matters with the public any more than we would discuss, say, special forces. We're going to have to take a quick break here. I'm joined by Nick Pope, who was the UK's Fox Mulder. Why not? Just go run with that. Uh, I'll have more information up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com uh, and some links to some interesting articles like that and other stuff that's going on. We will be back uh, after a few brief messages, so stick around. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? 
Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And we are back from that short break. I'm joined by Nick Pope, um, whose DVD is Aliens at the Pentagon. I don't know why I stumbled on that. And his book is Blood Brothers, which apparently is fiction. And he and I are going to talk about that uh, before we get away today. We were talking about the um, UFO programs, the UAK programs and the uh, United States program. Um, and you said you modeled or the UK program was modeled on Project Blue Book or the, UFO, or the uh, US pro, uh, programs. What were some of the differences between your program and what, what was done in the United States? Well, I think there were very few differences, actually, between where I worked and the sort of work that was done by, by Project Blue Book. I, I think the obvious one is that I was a civilian employee of the Ministry of Defense, whereas Blue Book was, was very much Air Force-led. But, you know, over the years in the UK, there were times when the Royal Air Force uh, were leading that, and it was simply a question of, of uh, administrative reorganizations from time to time. I think where you get the big difference is in the more modern era, and, and I'm talking specifically, of course, about the Pentagon's ATIP program. Now, there was a program... I mean, of course, after Project Blue Book was terminated, the U.S. government said, we no longer research or investigate UFOs. Uh, this subject is no longer of any interest. And then, of course, um, in, in um, uh, December of uh, 2017, the New York Times ran their story that, that there was this, this uh, ATIP program that had been looking at the phenomenon. And of course, that was radically different, not not just from from the work that I did, but even from Project Blue Book. And, and the main difference there, of course, was that this was not in any sense a public program. This this was going on behind closed doors in, in the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Department of Defense. And it seemed to be set up and configured in a totally different way. Well, before we get into that program a little bit more, let me ask you a question. Were your UFO investigations classified, or were any of them classified, that, that you were involved with? It's a mixture. Obviously, some of the reports came from the public, and, and there was no way that we could classify any of that. So when you look at the Ministry of Defense files, which are in the final stages now of being declassified and released, a lot of the material was actually unclassified in the first place. Where we did get classified information was in our internal policy discussions about the phenomenon. What are we dealing with? What are the implications? What are other nations, the Soviets, the Chinese, etc., doing about this? Um, th those sorts of things, there were a number of very highly classified documents. And again, some of those have now been declassified. And some, when you look at them 
at the uh, National Archives in the UK or on the Ministry of Defence website, you'll see have been partially redacted. So it was a mixture. It was a mixture. Well, in the Project Blue Book files, before they were released publicly, the Air Force went through and poorly tried to redact all the names of the witnesses because the idea was when the witnesses had come forward or where the witnesses were interviewed by the Air Force, there was a promise that you'd your names would not be made public. and We did so that went, the same, yes. That, that was exactly the same in the UK. Did you do a better job than the Air Force did? <laughs> and I, and the, re the reason I say that, and the best example I have, is in the uh, Kenneth Arnold sighting. They had, there was an interview between an Air Force officer and Arnold, and it was, you know, they, they even went to the part where it said, you know, AK for Kenneth Arnold. They'd scratched out his initials. But on the front page, somebody had written in grease pencil, it, it, uh, letters that had to be a half an inch high, Arnold sighting. So yes. kind we, of missed we, the big picture there. I, absolutely. I, I can't say we necessarily picked up everything. But under both the UK's Freedom of Information Act and indeed the UK's Data Protection Act, exactly the same uh, rules apply. And clearly, even before those pieces of legislation were brought in, the expectation from members of the public making a sighting, or indeed anyone else, police officers, pilots, military personnel, the expectation was that your name, your address, any of your personal details would not be made public, and we honoured that. So we went through very carefully when we released the files and and uh, tried to keep all that information back. I won't, I can't promise that nothing slipped through, but that was the intention. Uh, while you were on the desk, did you uh, ever come across the Project Moondust? Any documents about Moondust? No, I, I think I'd seen it in the literature, but uh, that that is not something I believe we had any official files on in the Ministry of Defense. We, the, only re the only reason I ask is because Moondust did have a UFO component to it, and there were some sightings mentioned in the Project Blue Book files that were labeled Moondust. So I just wondered if any of that had been communicated to, um, to, to you there in Great Britain. I don't believe it had been. Now, of course, I was only doing this job from 1991 to 1994. And although I had access to the previous files, um, it, it may be that something slipped past. Now, we didn't even use a code name at all. We, unlike, you know, the US where everyone seems to love all, all these, you know, grudge, sign, blue book, moondust, etc. We we tended not to call our, our UFO program any specific operation we we call the other things uh, other military operations of of course get code names but we simply uh, said that the work was embedded in the particular division which when i was doing it was called secretariat air staff which is is meaningless to most members of the public so um you know we we just referred to it as the ufo project or the ufo program just as a sort of convenient shorthand but as for moondust no i mean the, the problem with a lot of this is we we were very insular like a lot of countries we handled this on a nation only basis and we didn't tend to reach out and see what other countries were doing which i thought was a mistake oh yeah absolutely uh you had mentioned earlier that um you were looking at or had information about what the Chinese and the Soviets were doing in relation to UFO research. Um, what sort of things did you discover? What, what were they doing and how does it compare to what you were doing or what we were doing here in the States? Well, I think like a lot of nations, they were looking at the phenomenon to ask themselves uh, a number of questions. Firstly, is it real? Secondly, if it's real, what are we dealing with? And Thirdly, of course, like like all government thinking, I think that we were looking at this in terms of threats and opportunities. And I'm talking particularly about technology acquisition here. Is is there something, whatever the true nature of the UFO phenomenon, whether it turns out to be extraterrestrial or whether you, we're dealing with some sort of exotic atmospheric plasma phenomenon, whatever it is, can we derive some sort of benefit from it? And and if we don't, but someone like the Soviets or the Chinese are studying this and get there first, do, do we have a problem? And 
one can look at, for example, a declassified British intelligence study of UFOs, which we actually did give a name to this one, Project Condine, not to be confused with the Condon report. But in Condine, we did take a look at what the Russians and the Chinese were doing, and we did get into discussions about signature reduction, very high power energy generation, and uh, radio frequency weapons, directed energy weapons. Now, I can't recall off the top of my head what's still classified and what isn't. So, so I think the safest thing I can say is, is go and have a look at that declassified British study. And uh, some of it's redacted, but some isn't. And I think we, we get into a little bit about what we know the Soviets were up to. So uh, just to brag, I do have a copy of the report on my computer. So Ah, good. Well, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that a, a little later on. Did the uh, Soviets or the Chinese and anything that you saw were they deeply into the the extraterrestrial hypothesis, or did they go in a different direction? They didn't take it off the table, um, and neither did we. But I, I can't help but think with the Soviets in particular that it was more deeply tied in with uh, what I would call a more parapsychological approach to to the subject. And I think that's where it ties back, for example, into uh, Soviet research into telekinesis. And um, uh, this, of course, ties in with various Western programs to try and find out what the Soviets were doing, maybe run remote viewing programs to, to try and as, as a counter to what the Soviets were up to, or perhaps what we thought they were up to. So you're you're saying it was their solution was more terrestrially based, some kind of a paranormal phenomenon as opposed to an extraterrestrial or alien phenomenon. Yes, but I don't think they uh, ruled it out either. I think when you're dealing with these exotic phenomena, one one has to take a, a data-led approach and not a conclusion-led approach. That's difficult, of course. It's difficult to escape your your culture and your your belief system, but it's it's the way it should be done. Okay, we're, we're getting up uh, close to another break, so we're going to jump in here and try to do that. Once again, uh, it's uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. The website for Nick is www.nickpope.net. It's just Nick Pope as you would think it would be. His uh, fiction book is Blood Brothers. His latest DVD is Aliens at the Pentagon. And, of course, there's a lot of good programming on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Uh, take a look at the website for the Exxon Broadcast Network. Scroll down the list of programs and see if there's something that excites you. Uh, Maybe a program that you would be more interested in or a program that would uh, get you interested in and some other, other paranormal phenomena. And the one thing I should point out, which I have not done in the past, is the latest book I have done is, called, is Case MJ-12. It's an updated version of a book I did a number of years ago. We will be back with Nick Pope right after this, so please stick around. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. 
It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. I am back. I am joined by Nick Pope, uh, the British Fox Mulder. I just can't resist saying that for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, once again, his website is www.nickpope.net. We were talking about um, the various UFO investigations around the world and what the Soviets may have thought, what we may have thought. Uh, one of the questions I had for you, is there a, a sighting that you investigated while you were involved with the ministry or uh, an event that uh, really got you excited, something that uh, gets us into the extraterrestrial in some fashion. Sure. We had a fascinating wave of sightings in March of 1993 that took place over a series of about six hours over the UK and involved a number of different locations, including two military bases and a large triangular shaped craft was seen flying low and slow over these two military bases and indeed other parts of the UK um, earlier in, in the evening. And uh, one of the military witnesses, an Air Force officer, described to me how this huge triangular shaped craft fired a narrow beam of light down at the ground uh, close to the perimeter fence. The light swept backwards and forwards. There was a low-frequency humming sound coming from this craft, which he said was, was deeply unpleasant, one of those sounds that you can feel reverberating through your body as, as well as here. And then he said that, uh, and this thing was about 200 yards above the ground, probably no more, traveling very slowly, maybe 30, 40 miles an hour, and he said suddenly the, the light beam retracted and from this very slow speed, the thing shot away to the horizon at high max speeds. He, he said orders of magnitude faster than, than say, uh, the military fast jets. And, and this was an Air Force officer with eight years in. So when you have cases like that, obviously most of the cases I investigated had conventional explanations, aircraft lights, weather balloons, meteors satellites, etc. When you're confronted with something like this, it's a little bit of an eye-opener. And, and frankly, there was very little I could say to this guy, except uh, I wish I'd seen it. Was there photographs or radar tracks from that sighting? Uh, no, photographs, no photographs or videos, so far as I am aware. This was, I guess, 1993, so it was just rather, you know, a little, little too early for the, the cell phone uh, the, the ubiquitous cell phones with the cameras and the videos. Um, we did have some radar data. It, it was inconclusive. We had, we had some sporadic returns around one of the radar heads, uh, but nothing we could hang our hat on. And, um, you, you know, so it, it put us in a difficult position 
because in a sense it like it's the catch 22 of government ufo research the cases that you explain in conventional terms you explain the ones you don't in a sense well what else do you do with them they they kind of sit there on the file a bit like an unsolved crime in a police file so it, it was difficult we briefed it up the chain of command of course to senior air force officers and defense ministers in the ministry of defense and um but that was about it we reached out to the u.s and we said hey are, are you flying some secret prototype type hypersonic craft in the uk that's generating these sorts of sightings and interestingly the u.s said no but we were wondering whether you brits had anything like that because we've had some some similar sightings oh i was gonna say it was obviously ours but uh, you know just uh, sort of braggadocious um you um, said there was a, a number of sightings. So that you, you talked about the one guy, the, the Air Force officer, the RAF officer, uh, but you implied there were many other witnesses to this sighting? Yes, in, in all, and again, I, I, the case file on this has now been declassified and released, but not all the reports necessarily made it into the case file. Many members of the public, when they see UFOs, of course, won't report at all because of fear of disbelief or ridicule or, or lack of awareness of, of where to go. And some won't report to the government because they figure we're the bad guys in this or they think oh, these people know about UFOs already and they're part of the cover-up. So, so some people go to civilian groups and, and to the media. But in our case file, we probably had, I, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 witnesses perhaps uh, I suspect in in total there were many hundreds. But doesn't it give you pause that somebody uh, that many people over a, a fairly wide area over a, a long period of time had seen this sort of thing, and there doesn't seem to be a terrestrial explanation for it? Oh, absolutely. We, uh, you know, this is the sort of case that even us fairly hard nosed, cynical, uh, skeptical people at the Ministry of Defence ended up saying, well, you know, what if, dot, dot, dot. And, and so, those, those were the sorts of cases, actually, that led to the commissioning of uh, Project Condine, because the feeling was that we needed a, a full intelligence assessment of the phenomenon, a, a sort of estimate of the situation, national what, intelligence estimate, whatever. What was their conclusion? Unknown. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> so, so, so that was that was money well spent. <laughs> well, yeah, un, un, unknown, frankly. Um, there, there were some theories about exotic atmospheric plasma phenomena able to interact with witnesses and and perhaps coalesce into to shapes. But frankly, this was just explaining or trying to explain one unknown in terms of another, which, which didn't strike me as being very good science. Yeah, we had a, a situation like that with the Leveland sightings where the witnesses scattered all over uh, West Texas, and the Air Force explained it as ball lightning, and at the time, ball lightning was still a ther theoretical concept as well, and I thought, you know, that's really a dumb way to explain something. Sure. Uh, we're going to explain the unknown sightings here by something else that we do not understand. I think we understand ball lightning a little bit better now and realize level land did not, uh, was not ball lightning, but that's kind of the way it is. So you're unlike Condon who, um, decided there was no national security, uh, threat that the air force had done everything that it could possibly do and done a good job at it. And that there was no scientific value in continuing the study. Your guys just said unknown. Unknown, yes. Um, some, some of us did put on on paper, maybe unwisely, um, you know, statements along the lines of, because this can't be identified, we cannot assure ourselves that there is no threat. Now, the problem with those sorts of statements was that defence ministers had consistently told British Parliament and the media and the public, that this this phenomenon was of very little defense interest and, and that there wasn't a threat. But we said, when we have cases like this, we cannot give that assumption because, because it is an assumption. It's not a fact-based assessment. Have there been any cases in the UK where there was sort of a threat involved? Um, you know, I think 
we've had some intercepts here in the United States where the pilots were killed, uh, that sort of thing. Anything like that in the UK that would suggest kind of a threatening posture? Well, we've certainly had uh, several incidents where pilots have uh, been vectored towards an uncorrelated target by, by radar operators who've been tracking unknowns. And we've had pilots try to chase and intercept these things and, and not actually succeed. We haven't, to the best of my knowledge, had any, any crashes, uh, let alone fatalities, attributable directly to this phenomenon, whatever it may be. But self-evidently, we, we took the view that anything in our airspace was in and of itself a potential defense and national security issue. And I'm thinking the same thing. When the Air Force says, we're not interested in UFOs anymore, I mean, the U.S. Air Force, you think, well, isn't your mission to identify potential threats to us and something that's flying over our airspace, regardless of what it was, that we can't identify? Isn't that a threat? And shouldn't you be investigating that? Your attitude seems to be something flying over our airspace, meaning U.K. airspace, that we can't identify is a potential threat. Yes, I think so. And and the way to get around that is simply do what we did and change the terminology. We actually dropped, at least internally, the phrase UFO completely. We replaced it with UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. But some go further, and now you see all these kind of funny code phrases for UFOs, like unusual helicopter, unconventional aircraft, uncorrelated radar target. I mean, it's obviously the same thing, but but trying to come at it from a different angle, losing the pop culture baggage that these terms like UFO and flying saucer have. Is there still a program in the UK to investigate UFOs? I mean, a government program, or has that been pretty well abandoned? The program where I worked was formally terminated in 2009 as a result of wider defense cuts, I have it on fairly good authority that at the very least, interesting uh, incidents are still looked at on a case-by-case basis, uh, but on a good authority as well, that there probably is still a program of some sort. It it just obviously is very, very careful not to talk about this in terms of, of anything, any phrase that would excite the public or the media or attract the attention of journalists using the, the Freedom of Information Act. So there is sort of a program, but it's kind of an unofficial program? I think that's probably the best way to characterize it. But I, I go back to the, the point. No government, no air force is going to have its radar operators tracking unknowns, its pilots seeing and sometimes chasing unknowns, and just do nothing about it. Okay, we're going to have to take our final break here. I'm joined by Nick Pope. His website is www.nickpope.net. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will be back, and I will ask the question I've been waiting all hour to ask Nick Pope when we come back right after this. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
Rachel, I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And I am back with Nick Pope, he of the uh, United Kingdom, (laughs) United Kingdom, can't get that out now, United Kingdom UFO program a number of years ago. Before we went to break, I said there was a question I had wanted to ask him, and it should have been probably asked in the first segment, but we got um, off tangentially there. Um, I have been accused of uh, not being a good UFO researcher because I write science fiction. I figure, why does my day job interfere with my ability to investigate UFOs? But this is an allegation slung at me. Nick, has that allegation ever been slung at you? It's, uh, we can't trust what you say because you write fiction. Uh, yes, it has. I have actually written two science fiction novels myself, Operation Thunderchild and Operation Lightning Strike. They were actually written in, in the kind of Tom Clancy style as techno-thrillers with as much real... Uh, hardware, strategy, doctrine, tactics, as I could get away with. And I say get away with. These, to to the best of my knowledge, I mean, they're the only, certainly in the UK, science fiction novels that had to actually go through the government security vetting process. So so I've written sci-fi myself, and more recently I've written an action thriller called Blood Brothers about intelligence and counterterrorism and such like. And yes, there are there are people in the UFO community who don't necessarily take too kindly to that sort of thing. They see it as a sort of blurring of the lines. But I, I see it that there are many different things that I do in my life and I keep them compartmentalized. Yeah, it's always struck me as interesting that um, you can have any day job you want and be a UFO investigator, and that's okay, as long as you don't write science fiction, for God's sakes. I don't know why that would affect what you do in the way of um, your UFO research. Um, Blood Brothers, you say, is a, a, a techno-thriller? or a Yes, um, Blood Brothers, uh, I, I guess I'd call it an action thriller, really about the intelligence community in the UK and the special forces, so MI5, MI6, and the SAS teaming up to fight a, a new radical terror threat. And, and of course, it's, it's uh, sadly, it's very topical in terms of some of the things in the book. And again, there was just a media article about Blood Brothers in, in the UK just last week saying that this, this was so kind of uh, realistically written that it had to go through the, the government security vetting process so so just so that uh, we didn't inadvertently say too much about uh, intelligence matters special forces etc okay um the other question i was i had in the back of my mind was a rendlesham forest did you do any sort of ancillary work on that i realized that was long before you took over the ufo desk but i'm thinking of later on did you look into it and what was your conclusions very much I looked into it, yes. Uh, it was still, when I was doing the job, the case that we got more media and public uh, questions about. So I made it my business to to pull out the case file and, and uh, to, to do it, look into it. But also, at the end of uh, late 93, early 94, I undertook what I guess cops would call a cold case review of it. And I... I reinvestigated, and uh, again, it was absolutely fascinating case. I mean, my goodness, we could do a whole show 
on on that. I mean, suffice to say that it's certainly the UK's most interesting and I think in evidential terms, most compelling case, certainly in the, the British Ministry of Defence case files. What was your opinion? What did you conclude? Well, it, again, I, I'm falling back on, on this unfortunate catch-22 that I could tell you, I can tell you what it wasn't. And it wasn't all the, the, the sorts of things that the, the skeptics that have bandied around uh, what I can't tell you is what it it actually was, and and it is still to this date, technically speaking, unexplained. Now, um, you know there are a number of exotic theories floating around, everything from extraterrestrials to uh, time travelers uh, to some sort of interdimensional intrusion. I, I think the honest answer is I don't know, and that. It's a it's an irony of this subject that in the civilian UFO community, and I'm sure you've come across this time and time again, you encounter people who are absolutely certain about the true nature of the phenomenon and will lecture you till the cows come home on what it is and and, and every last detail. Those of us who've looked at this from within government, we're not afraid to say we don't know. And with Rendlesham, we genuinely don't know. I think that was the uh, solution for Roswell, for example. I think that the terrestrial explanations have been exhausted. I don't see a terrestrial explanation that fits all the facts, but does that lead us to the extraterrestrial? And the answer is no, it doesn't. And the best thing I can say about Roswell in this case is I really just don't know. I've talked to an awful lot of the people who were involved, and it turns out an awful lot of the people who claimed to have involved were lying about it, which is very disturbing. But the real point is when you get down to it, and I looked at, uh, did the same thing with, with Roswell uh, a number of years ago in a book called Roswell in the 21st Century, looked at it as a cold case. And what could I divine today that I didn't know then? And what, what information do we have today that we didn't have then? And the conclusion I came up with is I just really don't know. Um, it's, it, there is no good explanation for it. No, we shouldn't be afraid to say we don't know. And as as you know better than almost anyone else in this field, I mean, if you tried to get away in, in an intelligence briefing with a guess, um, then then I'm sure there would be a comeback. No, you, you have to differentiate between what you know and what you think. Now, you can make an assessment, but uh, you have to be very clear what it's, it's based on, and you have to be able to bake, back it up. And... And I think all too often in the UFO community, I see things presented as certainties when, frankly, they aren't. But no, we, we didn't take the extraterrestrial explanation for Rendlesham and indeed for the phenomenon as a whole. We didn't rule it out, but neither did we say that the case was definitively proven because it, it clearly isn't. What sort of evidence would you like to see to Let's say it's, it is extraterrestrial. What, what kind of evidence would you like to see to prove that in just a couple of minutes? <laughs> well, I think you'd have to have an artifact. It's, it's you know, no good having... I mean, all this stuff is valuable. Eyewitness testimony, radar data, photos, videos. But you'd need an artifact, something that could do something that we clearly couldn't do. And if you can't get an artifact, at the very least, we'd need metals uh, which which could be subjected to isotopic ratio analysis sufficient to tell us, well, they didn't come from here. Uh, but can't we pretty much manipulate the isotopic, isotopic ratios ourselves now? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I'd have to, I'd have to go to an expert for that. So I fall back then. If, if that's the case, <laughs> I would fall back on my first answer. We'd, we'd need an artifact, a machine, some, something that does something we clearly can't do. So that would be the kind of thing that would prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt for you? Yes, I think so. Okay. Um, any other cases that you that come to mind that you think are uh, extraordinary? Well, I think we had a case over the Channel Islands in the UK in, uh, what, 2006, 2007, involving a pilot um, uh, that he saw a mile-wide UFO, and there was some radar data there was a primary return on that whatever it was wasn't carrying a transponder not surprised being a mile long but there you are 
th there was primary radar data. Uh, that's a fascinating case. I guess in the U.S., all, all the big cases like uh, Chicago O'Hare are interesting, the Phoenix Lights, of course, a uh, number of other ones. And, and, you know, again, I go back to the case that probably incidents all around the world, some of which we've never heard of, out there, just right for proper investigation. But but because we look, tend to look at this on a, a national-only basis, no one's putting together the bigger picture, which is a, a mistake and a shame. Quickly, what do you think of Roswell? Oh, goodness. I don't think we'll ever get an explanation now with the primary witnesses gone, but maybe, maybe some document or file will turn up. I, I, I don't know. I live in hope. Uh, but I mean, are you leaning in any direction, extraterrestrial, or just I don't know? I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to call in. Hey, Nick, it's been a delight talking to you. Thank and, you. And uh, get, getting some of the uh, inside information about what you were doing in the Ministry of Defense and how that operated, because a lot of misinformation has been floating out around about that. Um, your book, uh, Blood Brothers, is available, I assume? Absolutely, on, on Amazon in the U.S., the U.K., and elsewhere. And uh, any other books that uh, you'd like to mention? Uh, they're they're all, all on my website. So nickpope.net, there's a book section which lists them all and gives the links to Amazon. Okay, there you go. Okay, thank, thank you much, Nick. I uh, hope to talk to you again pretty soon. Thank you. Uh, that was Nick Pope, who was at one time the uh, UFO guy, the Ed Rupelt of the uh, British UFO investigations um, and gives us some insight into how that operation was managed. I think it's some interesting things that he brought to the table that uh, I hadn't been aware of. As I say repeatedly, uh, my book, Roswell in the 21st Century, gives you an idea of what was going on there. I have Encounters in the Desert, which um, talks about the Lonnie Zamora sighting. And the, the latest one was Case MJ-12, which is an updated version of a book that I did um, almost 20 years ago. But there's a lot of new information in that, which I think uh, uh, probably identifies much more where the documents came from and uh, provides us with some in insight into that. The blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And take a look at X zbn.net uh, and get some ideas of what's going on in the X zone. I will be back in the future. Thank you. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.